Welcome everyone to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, followed by my permanent guest, Cammy. Hey there, Cammy. Hi, Bryant. How is it going over where you are? I am fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, are you guys staying well over there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess. Um, so <laughs> we, this is a mystery. So if, if you're just joining us, uh, maybe you're bored, uh, like everyone else and you're just going through the podcast app and you just type in amazing podcasts or something like that in the search bar. We'll definitely show up. Right. And so this podcast is one that every week we sort of take a myth or a legend or just a history, uh, just a chunk of history and break it down, try and give you a story, and then talk about it a little bit, uh, the facts behind it. Uh, this is an interesting episode, though, because of this global pandemic. Cammy and I are, are trying out some software so that way we can record remotely. So it's going to sound a little different. Uh, we don't know how long uh, this will last. So um, we might try other software, but uh, we really thank you for joining us if you are new or if you're one of the vets that's been with us for a little while. Uh, we've got a nice little episode today, nice topic. Cammy, why don't you tell us? Sure. Uh, we, well, previous to this, we recorded an episode on fairies with Peter, mm -hmm. which may or may not have aired at the time of you hearing this recording. It has yeah. not at the time of the recording. It'll, it'll definitely come up <laughs> before this hits. And... He was kind of focusing on a play by William Shakespeare, and Bryant did some research on whether or not, I guess, Shakespeare was the writer of his plays. Is that correct? Yeah. So, like, Peter talked about, we talked about fairies, and Peter used A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is great because it's filled with fairies, and it's it's like a revolutionary point for fairies. And uh, in in, in uh, literature, really, and just as sort of as as tales, um, the meaning of the fairies changed. And so I I kind of went down this rabbit hole of I, I remember hearing like in high school like the arguments against it. Like it was it was very much so in passing. Maybe like I remember I, I went over Macbeth when I was in uh, high school. And not I, against fairies, against William Shakespeare correct. writing his own. Place. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and it was just little things like that. fairies aren't real, um, <laughs> and so I, I kind of went down this rabbit hole, and then I thought it might be a cool idea if we discuss that a little bit. And you know, I it's it's not as like breathtaking as you might as I was hoping it would be. Like, there's no major conspiracy, but there's some fun stuff there, and it should be a nice little uh, topic for us today. Right, and what he had. Like at the time, it didn't really fit in with the fairies because we had so much information there. Right. Yeah. Um, so we decided to kind of take our own episode and and kind of go from it. Yeah. Um. Well, the play that we're that I'm focusing on is set in Troy, so Ilium, during the Trojan War. It's about you know six or seven years into the Trojan War. So they've been fighting for a very long time, mm -hmm. and it's um, it's Trollius and uh, Cressida 
is the name of the play. And it's, it's not something that I had really like ever read before this. Yeah. Yeah. Same. And so I thought it would be really interesting and especially because it's very different and you'll see why, Mm. but it's very different than his other plays, but it talks about the mythology of Troy, which would obviously be relevant to a mythology podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So did you have anything else before we get started? No, no. Yeah. I'm totally ready. I'm excited to hear what you got. Okay, sure. So Trollius is a soldier for the Trojan army. He doesn't really care about fighting, though, because he fell in love with this woman who, at the beginning of the play, I don't even know if he's ever met her, like, like actually yeah. spoken to her. They are both noblemen, like, from, I guess, like, the noble class in Troy, so they probably have crossed paths, mm-hmm. but her name is Cressida. She is, to him, as fair as Helen. But her father is sort of a traitor because he sees, like, the war going to the Greek side. So he actually goes to the Greek camp. And so he's left. He's left Troy. And it's, I don't know, it causes a little bit of, of heartache for Cressida. She she sort of doesn't know where she is, like, because of that, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Trollius is working with her uncle Pandarus to bring Cressida around to liking him basically mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> so Paris at sort of at the beginning Paris has been wounded by Menelaus and Hector has been wounded by Ajax in combat mm-hmm. and not severely but just sort of Pandarus is trying to convince Cressida that Trollius is better than Hector. And it's it's a little bit easier to do because Hector has just been wounded, you know. Yeah. So Pandarus, in fact, goes through kind of the laundry list of Greek and Trojan heroes and is telling Cressida how uh, Trollius is better than all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, everyone on the Trojan side has agreed that Helen is not worth a war that has lasted seven years. But they've decided they have to fight. And the reason behind this is that Helen represents more than just a pretty face. She is now the honor of Troy. Um, And everyone, everyone wants to stop the war. And Cassandra, who's Hector's sister, who's the the prophet that she speaks only the truth, but no one believes her. Mm -hmm. It's sort of her curse. She warns that the Trojans will weep if they do not return Helen. So she's, you know, all for getting rid of the scroll, let the war end. Because the war would end that night if they if they return Helen. Mm-hmm. Achilles is causing issues for the Greeks uh, as well. He will not return to battle. He wants to spend his days with Patroclus in his tent. And so we're, I guess we're going back to Troy. The, the play is very back and forth. Um, Pandarus and uh, Trollius win over Cressida with, you know, with Pandarus's, I guess, pandering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they they fall in love hard and both make vows uh, concerning their love. Trollius vows that he will be so faithful that faithful men will be called Trollius. And Cressida says that if she is not faithful, may any unfaithful woman be called Cressida. 
And Pandora says that this union is so blessed that every man who makes a, who makes a successful match, matchmaker will be called Pandarus. So they've, you know, they've all made these vows to each other. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in the Greek camp, Achilles is still getting it for not joining the war. Ajax has agreed to fight Hector again, but Patroclus points out how everyone is already calling him a coward. Achilles decides he wants to meet the Trojans and Hector. The Greeks offer a trade to get this face-to-face meeting. Cressida for a Trojan capture. The Greeks uh, wish to reunite her with her father is is sort of the guys. And the father did ask for that as well. Mm -hmm. At first, Cressida is heartbroken, but she realizes she must go. Trollius is, um, of course, he's heartbroken when she agrees to go. So the odd thing about this is that when they do meet up, all of these generals and soldiers and, um, you know, like higher ranked soldiers, um, Trollius is, is technically a prince. Hector goes with him. He's a prince. They all act like friends. They just sort of hang out and... Like when they're tra- when they're trading the prisoners, they like drink together, they joke around, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so you see it as war in this point is almost just a tool, and they're literally killing like the common people, sure. the soldier, the common soldiers, and um, you know, if they ever break into Troy, uh, the common people of Troy. <laughs> Yeah. Which we'll find about, out about that later, yeah, I'm sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ulysses is uh, kind of a dick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it ends up that everyone, you know, everyone's meeting up and all this stuff. And Diomedes has taken Cressida as his personal captor. Mm-hmm. Like, or, um, not captor. What word am I trying to say? Um, captive. Captive. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's taken her as his personal captive, and at first she's like, "Oh no, but I'm in love with this other guy, and here's his scarf, but I'm going to take it back." And then she like gives it, gives the scarf to him finally mm-hmm. again, and Trollius sees all of this, and he realizes that Cressida has betrayed him now. So Trollius is really mad. He's very angry. And he goes, the the next day they commence to the fighting because that's what they're doing. And he goes really hard after Diomedes. Now, during all of this, and the the play breaks up into, I believe it's six different, um, because it's five acts, but I think it's six scenes within the fifth act, which is a little unusual anyway. Um. But he, you know, he's fighting him, and then you have um, Hector and Achilles, and Hector falls. And so Trollius, who's Hector's brother, you know, he finds out that his brother's dead. So not only has he lost, like, the love of his life, but then he loses, you know, a very important family member, basically, at the same time. So he has to deal (laughs) emotionally with all of that, and he doesn't do very well doing it. Um, I think probably the most interesting part about this play is that it it's not very 
kind to any of the actors. It's none of them, you know, really, you know, like even in like, what was it? Richard the third. Is that a play where at the beginning he's like, my life is terrible because, you know, all the stuff that happened to me in the past. Right. And, and like, I'm a horrible person because of this. So even there where, you know, we sort of don't like Richard, you get this, this feedback on why he is the way he is. And it's just like a kinder take on it with this one. Everyone is just, they can all go eat a bag of dicks. I mean, it's just really bad. They're every single person in this play. It doesn't redeem themselves. Wow. Yeah. And and then the love story itself too. It's like, Oh, you're so in love. And then Mm -hmm. you think Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Well, that was a tragedy. Yeah. They both die at the end of it oops spoiler <laughs> yeah. did anyone not know that okay uh watch romeo plus juliet that's a good one but so they both die but but the love kind of remains and 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 you know the love still conquers because don't don't the two families like stop fighting after that i don't um, remember yeah i think so yeah capulets and the monkeys chill out yeah but it wouldn't so. even matter if they didn't because love still won because they both they put love above everything right. else. Right. Yeah. 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 No. I and in you. this one, yeah, I mean, this there's this true love, but then it's poof, it's gone. Right. So it's it's just a weird play. Like it doesn't fit his other works. Sure. So I thought it was one of the more interesting ones to the bring up goodness. in the question. Yeah, of whether or not he's writing these things. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't ever seen or watched or read this uh, Troy Liston Carissa. Um, that's really weird. And, you know, it's funny when I remind, I was talking to Kyle about uh, Midsummer Night's Dream and she kind of, we, we both kind of forgot that it's set in like ancient Greek too. And it's, it's weird to think about it. Like you think about the, the fan, the fantasy elements and you forget, like there's this connection to a lot of them in Titus Andronicus. And so, and um, Pan is right. in it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, no, that's great. Thanks for bringing that in. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, Shakespeare, it's really it it's not there is no crazy conspiracy um i mean the 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 idea that he didn't write his plays maybe in general is the conspiracy but it doesn't really have much weight further than that a couple uh episodes ago it was blackbeard we talked about revisionist history um yes and this is kind of a it, it, the the idea that he had, didn't write his plays. I mean, it's not really revisionist history anymore. It's just sort of theories, and I'm sure there are some people that are diehard out there. Um, and the fact of the matter is, Shakespeare was real. Um, we have certificates of his birth. We have his death certificates, uh, baptism. I think actually we don't have a birth certificate. I shouldn't have said that. We have baptism dates, uh, marriages, burials, wills, things like that that are are in record. Um, but we don't, regarding his plays, none of the original manuscripts, um, we know for a fact, like some of them, not, I guess altered is not the right word, but like some of the original, you know, so they, had, they would have to be cleaned up and changed and the transcriptions wouldn't always be correct. And so like it, the idea that they, they're all the exact original product probably isn't true for all the plays and poems and such. Um, and it's interesting, so a lot of this has to do, the idea of him not writing his plays is really a matter of when he became 
a when when like studying Shakespeare became a thing, and this wasn't until the eighteen hundreds. Um, it, it and it really became a huge thing, and it's interesting because in his time, there there were a lot of critics of him. Um, not really critics, right? Contemporaries is what I should say. Uh, who sort of saw him as he he wrote plays. Uh, except for a couple occasions for, for like the mass, the public, you know, this wasn't, uh, and, and he wasn't educated. He, he really didn't, he wasn't, he came from, uh, there's like a, uh, they, they believe his like parents were illiterate basically. And that he just came from a oh, wow. family. Yeah. So like he really didn't, he wasn't like an educated, um, person in the traditional sense at that time. But in the 1800s, there became the scholarly argument, um, and there is uh, a specifically the the I, this is what I remember hearing was that Francis Bacon um, wrote the plays because uh, I remember we were talking about Francis Bacon who it was well, he was like a figurehead in the Civil or Revolutionary War I think and then we were like but not to be confused with the Francis Bacon that people think wrote Shakespeare's plays and I was like what <laughs> um, so and this idea so Francis Bacon. He was a an English philosopher and statesman. Um, uh, this is just like the blurb from Wikipedia. He was the first Viscount of St. Alban. Um, of what? St. Alban. Uh, oh, I thought you said St. Olaf, and I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he and he did he did quite a few things, but he doesn't he didn't seem like he was um, his focus was a playwright. But anyway, so his his ancestor D- uh, Delia Salter Bacon. Um, God, these names. Uh, she Salter Bacon. Salter Bacon, yeah. <laughs> um, she was a writer of plays and short stories, and she was a, a Shakespearean scholar. Um, she was uh, alive from uh, 1811 to 1859, which is interestingly, she was uh, American. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. She was born in Ohio and died in Connecticut. Um, so it's interesting that... Uh, yeah, and in the 18th century, there became this sort of need to sort of analyze these works, and this sort of fostered the idea of 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 what we think today. And so, and this is where a lot of the ideas of uh, Shakespeare kind of came out. Where, and this is where academics started saying he couldn't have written the plays; he wasn't educated enough. Um, I don't her. Delia Bacon's reasoning isn't extremely thought out. Um, there, there's, there's definitely ideas that Shakespeare co- like colluded, um, and that sounds kind of uh, naughty. Um, he, he definitely <laughs> like he worked with. I mean, there were other playwrights. Another famous playwright, uh, Christopher Marlowe. He was a dramatist. Um, I really like Christopher Marlowe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hadn't heard of him before this, so he was from the same time period. And um, he actually, uh, Shakespeare actually quotes him in uh, "What Is It Much to Do About Nothing?" Um, yeah, you know, as um, you like it, as you like. Yeah, it. what? Whoever loved it, loved not at first sight. Yeah, it's a Christopher Marlowe so, quote. Yeah, that's great. Um, you get bonus points. Um, and, uh, yeah, and no, that's <laughs> the that's the quote, right? Am I wrong? I'm I'm sure it is. I'm not sure. For, okay, but I'm. I'll... Oh, you didn't look it up. I thought you were about to say it. No, I, like, I didn't. I'm gonna be right about this. But yeah, that that is what it is. Um, it's. it's 
He yeah, he directly quoted him. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I think it, the place came out the same year if I'm not mistaken. That could be it. Yeah, him and they were active at the same time. Um and he's even I never saw like a lot of weight behind this theory, but it's it's even supposed he might be one. Um another one is Edmund Spencer, um who was an English poet. Um he actually wrote uh The Fairy Queen, which is something that I I didn't ref I don't know if I referenced it directly in our Fury episode, but it was um I did mention how there was this uh, Elizabeth um, had this big thing with fairies, like just idealism and iconography and stuff like that. And so he sort of played to that Victorian era, uh, or I don't know, if that's not Victorian era. This this Elizabethan um, sort of the, when you think of like an old English fairy, you're thinking of what he's. Oh done. yeah, okay. Um, this and, and it's it's the stuff that inspired Shakespeare's you know representation of fairies and stuff too. So. Um, but yeah, the, these are other ideas that uh, they. It's it's just interesting. None of these arguments really have any weight to them. Um, but uh, I like Franz Bacon wrote under um, a guise in some of his work. Some of his works went unpublished, and so that's kind of there's this thin line of that. But it's it's really interesting too because she's she's considered a scholar, and she wrote she even wrote like the philosophies of Shakespeare and analysis of Shakespeare and all this stuff. And she was super interested in, maybe it's because she full heartedly believed that her great uncle was popping out these plays. Um, so th that's where the revisionist sort of idea comes in. Um, there, Oh, you know what? And I, yeah, I, I even wrote it down. Um, he even sort of quotes, uh, it, um, the fairy queen, uh, as well. Um, or no, he, he it's yeah. It, so Shakespeare had a library, and it's it's clear that he read uh, stuff like Edmund Spencer's um, *The Fairy Queen*. He also uh, has read read um, uh, translations of Ovid's *Metamorphoses*. Um, tons of the 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 popular literature of the time, Homer's *Iliad*, things like that. He definitely read, and that was used obviously like in *Troilus and Cressida*. Um, so that like it i guess when they when they started analyzing what his sources were they were just kind of, i think there was this connection of like there's no way he he would have to be really a lot smarter and educated to actually be able to write this stuff um so their whole argument was just like for some, education based okay yeah for some for for uh delia bacon's argument is essentially that like he wrote a bunch around the same time it, it should have been him um and it it was like a mid 19th century just thing and i, and I guess like it's what's really crazy to me to think is like i, I was um in, in for class i was doing a project where i had to look into some stuff on orson wells and orson wells is, is really big into shakespeare and big dramatic dramatist and um it's just wild to think that a hundred years after these scholars are talking about shakespeare we're still performing Shakespeare and a hundred years nearly after that, we're still performing Shakespeare. It's just kind of, it's insane how it's, it's lived. And yet we can't say 100% for sure. Yeah. He wrote it, you know? Um, See, I thought it was going to be like a Homer type of situation where they weren't even sure that this person existed, but right. he definitely exists. Right. Yeah, and so, that's, and that's, that's definitely, yeah, I, I don't think anyone would dispute that. I'm sure there's one guy on Reddit who would, um, and he's welcome <laughs> to write in, um, the Pluto guy. Yeah. 
or or Plato. Plato I mean, yeah. Pluto's not real. <laughs> the dog from <laughs> yeah, it never existed. Um, so it, yeah, there's there's this just this fun line of none of his original works are around. It's clear that he was alive. There's even like there's a bunch of uh, disputes around his actual name because it, it's his the spellings have come. Uh, up in different ways and he used a shorthand uh, apparently in a lot of like of his signings um so they think it has to do come from old english uh shocken spear um which is like to to like yeah it's weird um so which might i mean it could, i don't know if it's, it could have been his real name it's it's just really interesting um how it goes through so and I, I when you said you were when you told me you wanted to look at Troilus and Cressida, I I couldn't find anything kind of directly relating to that. I mean, there's some really cool um, discussion on that play again because it is weird. It's 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 not like his other pieces that have the happy endings, um, or at least just like the the happy connotations, you know. Uh, right. Well, and this one, it was it was kind of halfway between a comedy and a tragedy too, right. because yeah, there was a light dark. There, there was a lot of comic effect, especially with um, Achilles and Patroclus and everyone was saying that they were together and they were making light of it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, when you read the Iliad, it's kind of even a question as to whether they're really referencing that or not. Mm-hmm. But in this, like, they definitely are. And they're like saying, hey, um, you know, stop screwing your boy right, and right. come to battle and it's um in very like light-hearted ways yeah shakespeare like the the historiography which is like a fun word and and that's that's the kind of like the 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 history of history how how we write history uh, the historiography of shakespeare is really interesting and i i wonder if there's any any chance of a breakthrough that would further do that um i, I doubt it unfortunately it, it's just interesting to think that we in 1600 when all this was done we were so shakespeare was so active every every you know life was was really busy but we couldn't it wasn't like advanced enough to be able to preserve it in the way that we would hope you know to really do this so it's it's like it's it's not old enough to be classic but it's not new enough you know to to be held in there um so it's just really it's it's funny to think about that uh how it goes i i mean i was under the impression that his plays were like word for word kind of thing but you're you're saying it's not at all there's an idea that it, it 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 wouldn't be i think like there's corrupted manuscripts like some that are just like trashed um like two or, or something like that that are that remain um that were that we believe are the original but no the rest it would be copies and so yeah i, I mean it's just interesting um and and you know i shakespeare like lived he, he died um yeah i think he was almost 60 he's 16 16 i think he died um so no that's not right i wrote it down let me see no, yeah, 1564 to 1660. Um, so th- I, it's just, it's wild to me that he was around that long. Um, but, like, there wasn't a, you know, like, you feel like, he, I don't know. It's just interesting. Like, 
why why this discussion kind of continues and and i i was looking at my notes on the the bacon the stuff and then her um idea isn't simply that francis bacon wrote everything but also that multiple authors wrote stuff i mean and uh, that wrote some of these plays and uh i mean i i imagine like i said in in i i imagine shakespeare working he this is he he's a he's doing this for a living him people like him and right. Marlowe, Christopher Marlowe, the, these people do this literally for a living and it's a, it's a good living. People need want this kind of entertainment. And I mean you how do we write work today? I mean when I write a paper, if I don't if I don't reread it myself and then have someone else look over it, it's gonna be full of crap. And they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna offer, you know, like if I give it to Kyle, she'll look at it and she'll tell me, No, do this, this and I'll I'll offer. So I mean it's still my writing, but yes, it was edited by Kyle and so, but it's just funny. And again, he he did quote Christopher Marlowe. We know that it, it, it's there, um, but he didn't. There's no footnote, you know, or like references, you know. So it's it's like it's just fun uh, the evolution of how uh, that stuff sort of how how it was then and how it is now, how writing is now, and how we, it was so advanced back then, but not it didn't have the same sort of things that we have today. Um, but they did have like, I, I, if I remember right, uh, they did have like a copyright process and things like that. Um, so it, it's, but yeah, that's that's essentially it though. Um, there, there really is no definitive answer. I mean, she, it, it's it's almost it doesn't matter at this point, you know? <laughs> because, yeah. Like just the situation. I mean, well, in that way, it is kind of like Homer. Like it doesn't really matter who wrote it. Exactly. This is you know it's in the style and yeah. it's attributed to this person i mean it, that was 400 years ago mm, yeah 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 exactly um so it's uh it's pretty cool and yeah i was looking there's this fun website williamshakespeare.net um it's pretty simple but um it's got a fun little page 20 facts about shakespeare and it it he kind of will sum up a lot of stuff um, regarding like uh, nobody knows his true birthday. Um, he was actually pretty wealthy because of his estate. Uh, he uh, there was like a period of time in the yeah eighty five to ninety two where we don't know what he was doing because there's really no records and um, some people think that he was either a school teacher, studied law, or traveled um, or worked with an acting troupe. Uh, and and he was an actor too. He was really a big actor. So um, yeah, it's really really uh, it's really interesting. Um, and, and yeah, the biggest one too. Um, he they they he lived a double life. So in in the sixteen hundreds, by the sixteen hundreds, he was famous and and wealthy, um, living in London. But or uh, in London, recognized as a famous playwright. But then. Uh, would go to Stratford where his wife and children were. Um, so he he was always on the road. And uh, when he was in Stratford, he wasn't really a playwright. It was really in London. So it's kind of interesting. Oh, neat. So he's like trying to get away from the fame. Or sure, whatever. yeah. I mean, I guess at that point, well, yeah, you're rolling in it back in the, I mean, you're, you're 40 years old and you're, you're doing fine. So <laughs> just want to sit and have your tea and not get killed by the plague. That's about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, stay out of London then. Stay out of London. Yeah, it's just the work and the stress and the bubonic plague and <laughs> something we can all relate to very much. So right. right now. Yeah. So yeah, I I hope uh, 
I, I, I wanted to find, I, like, I was like, let me sit down and look at this. And I, there, there, I could go a little bit more into some of these um, theories, but it, honestly, that's, that's really the, the length of it. Um, as far as it goes, I, I, I'm curious in the next like 20 years, I wonder if there's going to be new theories or evidence that can support anything. And that would be really cool. And hopefully if you'll remember this and be like, Hmm, if you see like a Buzzfeed 2040 <laughs> article, it's like Shakespeare's actually a woman, um, or something like that. So, right. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's about it. I, I, uh, yeah, so Shakespeare, definitely real person. Um, plays it's it's a little wonky ish we we can't definitively know but we can assume and in the end it really doesn't matter so (laughs) for now well that was great brian thank you yeah thank you thanks for bringing that i'm I'm gonna see if there's a a good adaptation of that um play in there is not i tried to do i tried to cheat and do that i just had to read it yeah oh reading oh my yeah, I know. Reading a play is like the worst anyway. It's true. And then it was this play, especially what? because they kept jumping back and forth between the camps. It, and they didn't describe it very well. I had to know who the people were, which mm-hmm. I did because I read the Iliad. But like, sure, sure. I had to know. What, that's how I knew which camp they were in. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really bad. That's interesting. <laughs> and that's, you know, can you imagine just being like Bo Smith? And you just got off the manure farm in 1602, and you're just like, well, I'll catch a play at the play theater. And <laughs> That's why they threw and... stuff at the actors. Right, yeah. <laughs> this just... play specifically. What is Troy? What are you talking about? I can count to three pence. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, Cammie, thanks so much for remotely joining me for this recording of Mystery. Uh, I hope our listeners enjoyed it and hopefully we won't have to do this too much but probably will for a little right. while <laughs> but let us know if, if uh, I, I've got a few different sources um, let us know if you enjoyed it let us know if you have an idea of how we can record it and sound better um, but I think that covers it Cammy. thanks so much thank you